This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast, the coronavirus episode. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and I am your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. I bring in this message of hope today from Pensacola, Florida. This is report number 50, dated March 17th in the year of our Lord, 2020. I bid God's grace and peace to all my fellow sojourners here in this earthly plane. I remain sound in body, alert in mind, and energized in spirit. In this week's podcast, we will discuss the health scare that is blanketing the world. I've been preaching about the sin virus. It invades, it spreads, and it kills. And we've all got it. Thankfully, there's a cure. And best of all, it's free. I've been reading how regular soap and water is the best preventative. So I'll wash my hands, not because I'm scared, but because I care about other people. I've been hearing the NBA is in lockdown after Rudy Gobert mocked the precautionary measures in place and then tested positive himself. Don't mock what you don't understand. I've been playing Pandemic. To millions, it is the ultimate cooperative experience. To me, it's whack-a-mole the board game. But maybe you're more patient than I am. Are you ready? Here we go. This is what I've been preaching. The thematic connection between sin and the coronavirus ought to be relatively obvious. Sin, obviously, is much more serious for those who are spiritually minded. Uh, We don't want to minimize the climate that we're living in or the crisis that is facing so many people in this world, including in this country. But I do want to take the opportunity of this, this carnal problem, this physical problem, to address a spiritual one, the, the sin virus that is infecting each and every one of us. And, and it is. Don't kid yourself about that. If you are living on planet Earth, you are infected by the sin virus. It's far more contagious, far more infectious, far more widespread than any virus or germ or bacteria uh, that we might run across in this world. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 9 and 10 is a passage that we refer to a lot on this podcast because it refers to the role of sin in our lives as people of God in Satan's world. It talks about how he'd warned us to withdraw ourselves from the, uh, from the, pe- the sin of the world. And he didn't mean the sinful people out there in the world, non-Christians, because you'd have to go out of the world for that, paraphrasing verse number 9 and 10. Paul's telling the people there in Corinth who are living in a very ungodly culture, by the way, that they would have to leave planet Earth to get away from sin. And that's the way it is with us. Things have not changed really all that much at all. We are in Corinth today. We're in Babylon today. Sin is every bit as pervasive as it ever has been. It is a perpetuating disease, scourge upon mankind and has been ever since the fall. Nothing we can do about that. That's simply the way that it is. The good news is there is a vaccine that is given to us, a vaccine in the man of Jesus Christ, because Jesus died on the cross and provided salvation for us through his, through the grace that's available in his blood and gave us the word of the text to follow after him and find his way. We can have confidence that no matter how much sin is out there or even how much sin is in here, we can be forgiven and we can be welcomed into the arms of God. First Timothy chapter, five, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, talks about how all scripture is inspired of God and profitable 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And there are other passages that we can talk to uh, talk about as well. The idea, especially of of correction, not correcting other people necessarily. Although certainly that that is certainly relevant. We we use the the word to correct other people, but especially in the context here today, correcting ourselves, looking into that law of liberty, the mirror that James refers to in James chapter one, and finding the problems in ourselves. And with an eye toward correcting those problems, Jesus has provided us an opportunity to be cured of this disease. And by the way, it may be worse than that. It may be not just that you are infected with sin, as it were, but you're actually sick, that you are showing symptoms. Lots of people have viruses or germs or whatever and don't show any symptoms. They're not really sick in the conventional sense of the word. And although I may sin and you may sin, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to die from our sins. Jesus has promised us life instead of death. But that may not be the case for you. You may actually be sick with the sin virus, no matter what your background may be. The text in Ezekiel chapter 18 goes through various generations of of people there who had served the Lord and not served the Lord and served the Lord again. Maybe they were faithful in it, in it and maybe they weren't. Verse 24 especially talks about this man who had been serving God, who had been faithful in all these things. And then for whatever reason, turns around and says, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do something else. That person stands condemned just as much as any sinner ever did. He needs forgiveness as much as anybody else ever needed forgiveness. And now he's not, not only is he not in position to receive it, he's not even asking for it. That is a critical state, and it could happen to any of us. No matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter how many years of service we have in the Lord, we can, in fact, be guilty of sin and in danger of eternal punishment. doesn't have to be that way. We can uh, recover. We can be forgiven. If the Apostle Paul could be, anybody can. I love the way that he refers to it in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1 and verse number well, back up to verse number twelve. He says, "I thank Christ uh, Jesus. Uh, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent transgressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant, with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all." Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ may demonstrate his perfect patience as the example of those who would believe in him for eternal life. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for eternal life. And Jesus provides it for us. Yes, we're sick. Yes, we're dying. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Jesus is here providing the vaccine, providing preventative care. Not just palliative care, helping you feel better on a day-to-day basis, but a real solution to your sin problem. An eternal home in heaven waiting for you after this life is over, where you're going to be relieved of all these ailments and difficulties of this life, especially and including sin. Anyway, that's what I've been preaching. This is what I've been reading. This part of the podcast may border on public service announcement rather than spiritual commentary. I apologize ahead of time for that. I uh, Trust me, we're going to get to the spiritual commentary in a moment. But let's talk a little bit about washing hands before we get into that. 
everybody, and I mean everybody, who has weighed in with an informed opinion and judgment with regard to coronavirus has, has said exactly the same thing over and over again. The best thing that you can do as an individual to keep yourself from getting sick and to keep other people from getting sick is wash your hands. Uh, wash them thoroughly, wash them frequently, wash them properly between the fingers, uh, top of the hands, palms especially, of course. If I had a, a director and a sound guy and a camera guy and all that kind of thing, I might be tempted at this point to pause and give you some kind of Pontius Pilate demonstration, just kind of scrub myself in front of everything and, and boom. I don't know that that would make for very compelling audio. And I uh, suspect the video wouldn't be a whole lot better either. And I don't have all those guys, so that's a moot point. But you've seen people wash their hands before. You, you know what it means to wash your hands. And the people who know such things are telling us it's not just a matter of passing your hands underneath the water briefly, getting wet and then getting dry. That's not the point at all. Use soap, use warm water. Uh, at least 20 seconds, they tell us. Uh, sing happy birthday while, or some other little short song while you're doing it. Uh, clean yourself properly. If you do that, you will quite likely, almost certainly, in fact, not get sick. And you won't be spreading uh, the disease, the virus, onto anybody else. Now, I am not a dirty person. Uh, I, I like being clean as much as the next person. But I'll confess to you, this is a bit of a of a opportunity for development for me. I don't wash my hands, or haven't anyway, washed my hands six, seven times a day. That's, that's not, I don't tend to get dirty. I don't tend to think about germs a lot, and I don't get sick. Uh, very seldom do I get sick, and uh, neither does my family, really. And so the compulsion to wash has not really been at the forefront of my mind. And when I started hearing all these warnings about washing your hands, uh, that tended to kind of bounce off of me at first, like I imagined the virus bouncing off of me. But that's the thing. See, when the virus bounces off of you, it hits something else. If you don't get sick yourself, that doesn't mean nobody else is going to get sick. This is part of prioritizing other people instead of just ourselves. And going back to the previous segment, we were talking about, about the sin virus. The same kind of thing applies. I don't feel sick right now. As I as I speak here, I, I feel at the peak of health. I don't think there's anything wrong with me at all. But I'm not the only person in this equation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, as we frequently refer to, the text says here, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Uh, the idea of I don't want to wash my hands because it, it's too much of a hassle and just turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to the needs of other people is silly and selfish and and prideful and and beneath our dignity as Christians. We need to be more noble than that, just like we need to be thinking about others in every other aspect of our life. We need to wash our hands. We need to keep ourselves clean and uh, and keep ourselves pure as much as we possibly can, whether we're talking about about physical illnesses or we're talking about spiritual illnesses. The same thing works both ways. A couple things to consider while we're doing this. In the first place, uh, I may not be as healthy as I think I am. They, they say this a lot about coronavirus, especially. Most of the people who have the virus, who are carrying the virus, and, and I mean like in their lungs, actually carrying it, 
don't feel symptoms. They don't feel sick. And they certainly don't feel them early on. They, if they're going to manifest, and they don't always manifest, they will manifest later on. In the meantime, they are carrying the disease to, to everybody who they come in contact with. We need to be aware of that. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 tells us, Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. We'll talk about one example of this in the next uh, in the next segment. Just because I think I'm doing okay does not mean that I am. And again, that's true for sin and that's true for for carnal illnesses as well. We need to be focused on what we can do to make sure, in fact, that we are healthy and to provide measures to protect ourselves and protect others in case we're not. And if I am, in fact, carrying this virus and I'm not getting sick and I'm not going to get sick, again, I, my immune system's pretty good. I tend to fight these things off fairly well. But even if I don't get sick, even if I never get sick, that doesn't mean I'm not a carrier. I very well may be. And so when I am exposing myself to others with unwashed hands, I may not be in danger. I may not think about the danger to myself because I don't see any danger, but I may be presenting a danger to somebody else. And I need to be in a position spiritually and physically where I am willing to make reasonable compromises, reasonable sacrifices to help other people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 13, he's willing to give up meat if it would get in somebody's way. And, and I need to certainly be willing to wash my hands if it would put my brother or my sister at ease. If we gather on the Lord's day and, and I haven't washed my hands, I, somebody sees me uh, coming out of the restroom, my hands have not been washed. What does that say about me? What does that say about my concern for other people? Am I dangerous? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But either way, I'm showing a disregard for other people. And what I need to do is to be willing to make an effort to accommodate others at my own expense, at my at the expense of my own liberties, my own freedoms. I make myself a little bit more uncomfortable. I put myself a little bit out there because I'm concerned about what other people are thinking, what other people are doing. I don't want them to get sick. And that means preserving my own influence in, in various situations in my life where I'm participating in something that I don't think is, is sinful. But at the same time, Somebody else does. Romans chapter 14 talks a lot about that. There's nothing wrong with engaging in morally neutral behavior, but don't do it at the expense of the faith of somebody else. Keep your priorities. Wash your hands. Make sure you're as clean as you possibly can be at all situations in your life. Your brother don't thank you for it. Anyway, that's what I've been hearing. This is what I've been hearing. A few words of qualification before I start talking about lockdowns as a preventative and, and treatment measure for coronavirus or whatever. I'm fully aware that it touches other people more than it touches me. I don't especially care if the NBA season gets suspended because I quit watching the NBA years ago. I don't especially care if the NCAA basketball tournament is called off because my team wasn't going to qualify anyway. I care somewhat more that my daughter's college campus is shut down and I have to spend 15 hours in the car fetching her and bringing her back. But, you know, even in that situation, I get to spend a couple of extra weeks with my daughter. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. So even there's a positive to that. There are people who are materially affected by this, and I don't want to dismiss them at all. 
I'm not talking about NBA players. Now, they'll get paid one way or the other. I have a very strong feeling. I'm talking about, about season ticket holders who may wind up wasting a lot of money. I'm talking about uh, travelers who have already invested and may not get their money back or they certainly aren't going to get their time back. I'm talking about uh, high school children who were thinking about getting some scholarship money by selling a prize pig or whatever at the livestock show. Now they're not going to be able to because the livestock show is called off. Uh, there are people from parking attendants to to food service workers to all kinds of folks who count on these big ticket events uh, to to supplement their income. And it's a hardship for them, and I appreciate that. And the, the lockdown is going to mean major, major changes to their life, not for the better. And I realize that. And I'm sympathetic. I really am. But I want to talk a little bit about this tendency that we have to mock things that are not going our way, things that we do not understand, things that, frankly, we're not in position to understand. I am perfectly willing to turn over decisions like this to people who are trained to make these decisions. I am not an epidemiologist nor the son of an epidemiologist. I am not a healthcare provider. Uh, I trust that people who know what they're doing are making good decisions. And this is one of the great things about trusting in God because God is over all of these things and God is able to provide for me no matter how smart or no matter how idiotic the people who are in charge are, no matter how good or bad the decisions are, they may not work out for me in the short term, but they, I am in the hand of God in the long term. And that gives me peace and that gives me comfort. But let's stay away from this idea that things, if they don't look dangerous, that means they're not dangerous. Uh, we mock the things that we do not understand. And Rudy Gobert is a great example of this. Uh, the basketball player for the Utah Jazz made the news because he was at a press briefing and he made a point of handling the microphone and handling the, the mic stand and things like that. Clearly, they'd received a directive from the league to minimize human contact, and he thought that was kind of dopey, and so he just kind of made a big spectacle of himself. And then a few days later, he himself tests positive for coronavirus. How ironic is that? And we don't blame Rudy Gobert or the NBA for, for the coronavirus. Uh, it was, it's unfortunate, but this is not his fault. We're not ridiculing. We're not blaming a situation like this. But we are saying that things that do not seem to be important, things that do not seem to be dangerous, that's not necessarily the case. One of the things about coronavirus that's so dangerous is that it doesn't kill wide swaths of people right away, that it gets in and it incubates, and that oftentimes it does not manifest itself in symptoms, and people think they're healthy or think they, think they just have a cold or something, and they'll resume their regular lives and they'll give it to somebody else, and maybe they'll manifest symptoms, or maybe they'll get seriously dangerous, uh, dangerously ill. Maybe they're elderly. Maybe they have some kind of immune disorder or whatever it happens to be. And before too long, roughly 4%, as far as I can tell, of the people who get this virus wind up dying. And because we stretch this thing out, because we allow it to go longer and longer and longer without shutting it down, we get in a situation like Italy is in right now, where it's more like 8% of the people who contract this virus are going to die. Not because it's worse in Italy than it is here, but because they simply don't have enough hospital beds. Too many people are sick. And the hospitalization rate is much higher than 4%, by the way. Uh, closer to 15 or more percent, close to 20% of the people who catch this virus are going to need to be dealt with on a professional level and oftentimes in the hospital. We want to avoid that. And the powers that be have decided that lockdown is the best way to handle this. Now, let's let's back away from the from the biases and such and our personal agendas and accept some uncontested realities. And that is one that lockdown is the best preventative. 
If we quit touching people, if we quit coming in contact with wide swaths of humanity, the virus will die. It will go away. If you quit breathing on people, people will quit getting sick. That's just the way that it is. Everybody accepts that. Everybody also agrees that the number of actual patients with regard to coronavirus is much, much smaller than the people who were infected. We, there's no way we can possibly have a, a handle, an actual number count of the people who are actually being affected by this. And we also know that quick action is going to be much, much, much better than protracted action. If you put the lid on, on the fire quickly, the fire dies more quickly. That's just that's science. And we all understand that. But we also understand this, that overreaction sometimes creates other problems, ancillary problems that may not be worse than the initial problem, but they may add to the problem. They may create other problems. There may be a ripple effect. And especially if the, the problem, quote unquote, would have solved itself at some point, we put ourselves in a position where we are protracting the difficulties and compounding the difficulties rather than solving them. So the solution as always, is information. Don't dismiss the hype just thoughtlessly. Just assume that this is all blown out. We're not going to think about this. We're going to just, I'll wash my hands if I feel like washing my hands, that kind of thing. Don't do that. But at the same time, don't buy the hype thoughtlessly. Don't just assume that the sky is in fact falling just because somebody from the CDC says that it is. What we need to be is informed and prepared as much as we possibly can be. Do whatever we can as individuals to help ourselves and those who are immediately in our vicinity to survive this thing as much as we possibly can. Being prepared is what it's all about. I'll refer you to Matthew chapter 24, which obviously is a very different context, but on the same topic of preparation with regard to matters that are beyond our control to a certain degree. Jesus says here in Matthew 24 and verse number 45, who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day that he does not expect him, an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think there's some application there with regard to preparation for carnal things. Uh, I have a responsibility to be ready for whatever comes across my path, for my own sake, for my family's sake, and to a certain degree for my, for my neighbors as well. If I am found faithful, if I do my job as much as I possibly can on any given day, I show the Lord that I am prioritizing things properly. I do the best that I can. There are certain things that are beyond my control. I'm not going to worry about those things. What I'm going to concern myself with is the things that are right in front of me. I am going to wash my hands. I am going to minimize contact. I'm going to encourage other people to do the same. And I'm not going to lose my faith over this. I'm not going to assume that God is not in charge simply because it looks like the world is falling apart all around me. So be informed and be prepared for this and whatever other crisis may come across your path. And if you can see it in your heart to do so, leave a little toilet paper for the rest of us. Anyway, that's what I've been hearing. If you want to stop listening at this point and go your way, I hope you've found the message instructive, inspiring, and most of all, faithful to God's Word. Please don't forget to like, rate, share, subscribe, and follow. But if you stick around for a few more minutes, I would like to share with you a way to amuse yourself in a wholesome manner while waiting here in Satan's world, and perhaps pick up a spiritual point or two in the process. This is what I've been playing.
Well, I suppose we have to discuss pandemic if we're going to be talking about the coronavirus. It's the game that has, pardon the expression, taken over the world. Uh, the game that set the path for any number of other cooperative games. Uh, fair disclosure here, the Hammonds family has not played Pandemic, at least not the purest version of it. We have two Pandemic-themed games in our collection. We have Pandemic the Cure, where the players actually take the role of the virus trying to kill off humanity, which is kind of kind of sick if you want to think of it that way, I suppose. And we also have Pandemic Legacy. And a word or two about legacy games. What this basically is, is a protracted series of games where it's a campaign kind of thing. You build on uh, the game itself. The board gets altered. Pieces of the game get destroyed and thrown away. It's not reusable. It's not replayable. Most legacy games, anyway, are not replayable. And Pandemic Legacy is not. We've played Season 1, or at least we played most of it. We wound up more or less quitting about halfway through. And I'll tell you why. Because... Pandemic is a it is a burden for me, it uh, and and for Tracy too. Tra- Taylor likes it, but it wears on my patience playing Pandemic. And, and again, I'm not exactly sure how similar the regular Pandemic is to the, the version that we play. But here's here's what we were experiencing in Pandemic Legacy. You are given a map of the world. And you are given a deck of cards that are attached to various places in the world. And four different diseases are going to break out at the same time all over the world in various various stages, various levels of, of intensity. And most people wind up naming the diseases. We name the diseases. The blue cubes represent dysentery because Taylor is obsessed with dysentery. Uh, apparently she has some of the books that she read talk about dysentery and the organ trail and things like that. The, uh, the red disease was communism, obviously. The black disease was the plague, again, obviously. And the yellow disease was the zombie apocalypse. Because if you play Pandemic, apparently it's the law. You have to name one of them the zombie apocalypse. In hindsight, if we were to play this again now, maybe one of them would be coronavirus. I don't know. At any rate, these diseases pop up and they spread depending on where you go and various people have various missions and various abilities to go in there and try to to stamp it out and eventually hopefully create a cure Uh, but maybe not and the longer the game goes on the more you realize we're never really going to win this game we're just trying to survive this game and i wound up terming it whack-a-mole the board game because you got a problem over here, we go and stomp it out, and lo and behold, here's another problem over here. And just racing pell-mell from one part of the world to another trying to fix these problems that clearly have no intention of being fixed. Now, maybe that works for you. That did not work for us. Uh, I like to win a game. I like to have success. I like to have a positive experience. And this was simply not getting the job done for us and we're probably never going to finish pandemic legacy and we may never play any version of the standard pandemic Uh, it just wasn't lighting our fires uh, particularly you know if you disagree then feel free to play pandemic to your heart's content Uh, I, i would like to emphasize though this futility of life that sometimes sets in that we have difficulty dealing with. And I'm not using myself as a positive example here. Actually, it's kind of the opposite. 
because life is very much like pandemic in the sense that one problem will lead to another problem and we think that somehow or another we're entitled to five minutes of rest which is just not true and if you manage to get five minutes of rest you just recline in that and enjoy it and breathe deeply and all of a sudden here's another problem you think what in the world is going on why why are things so broken when in reality this is the world we live in it has been broken from the beginning it always will be broken and we don't want to be just overly depressed about this or, or obsessed over the problems of the world because we are told over and over again to find joy in life, especially in Jesus. We, we find joy, we find contentment, we find satisfaction, but we don't find it in getting rid of the problems that we're dealing with because we're never going to get rid of the problems that we're dealing with. The problems, in fact, are part of the bigger picture. The problems are at least in part given to us so as to convince us that this world is not our home. This world is not conducive to us, that we are destined for something better. If there is something in your heart that is confused and perplexed as to why this world doesn't work any better than it does, that's God's plan working in you. That's God giving you a message, asking you to yearn for something else, yearn for something better, something fuller, something deeper, something eternal, something that only he can give to you. But he's not going to give it to you today. At least probably he's not going to give it to you today and quite likely not tomorrow, next week, or next year. What we're going to have to do instead is to be patient. And that's not really my thing. And if you're like most of the other people I've met in your life, it's probably not your thing either. I would probably would consider myself to be a, as patient as the next person, but I don't consider myself to be a patient person. And so I need to look at passages like James chapter 5 and remind myself of the difficulties of this life and the hardships that everybody faces and the fact that Jesus is there for us in these moments. Again, in a somewhat different context, he's not talking about some kind of pandemic in James chapter five. He's talking about persecution and difficulties and hardships. And he writes here, therefore, verse number seven, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the uh, precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have seen of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We know how this story turns out. We may forget it from time to time, but we know that God is with us. We know that God is taking care of us and we know that Jesus is watching over us and shepherding us through this entire process, trying to strengthen our hearts, trying to build patience in us, trying to keep us about the task, staying on task so that we can be more and more fit for his coming. That's what we're keeping our eye on, not the current difficulties. We're looking on the ultimate prize. It's not going to come right away, but it will come with patience. So work on your patience. Anyway, that's what I've been playing. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. If you profited from your time here, I have a few requests of you. Please pray for me and for this work. We need more Citizens of Heaven, and our prayer is that we be part of achieving this objective. Please subscribe to this podcast and give a good rating on iTunes and other sites that allow you to do such things and spread the word to your friends. Please follow my work through my website, www.halhammons.com. There you'll find links to articles, videos, and books of mine. Seek me out on social media. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and especially Facebook. Look for me and for my pages, The Final Word, The Preacher, 20 Pages a Week, and Citizen of Heaven. 
Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.